Surely if the pattern of Jesus at this point means anything at all, it teaches that the first duty of a church leadership is to see that it ha- that to see to it that a foundation is laid in the beginning on which can be built an effective and continuing evangelistic ministry to the multitudes. The whole thing revolves around the person of the master. Basically his way was his life, and so it must be with his followers. We must have his life in us by the spirit if we are to do his work and practice his teaching. Any evangel- evangelistic work without this is as lifeless as it is meaningless. It is good to tell people what we mean, but it is infinitely better to show them. We learned that in Israel. When we were in Israel, our guide was Jewish, and he kept saying, uh, he, he would say, we want you to come live with us. We don't need another evangelist in our country. We need people who will come and live with us and show us Christianity. Um, and so that was, that, that's so true. It's so much better to show people than to tell them how they're wrong or tell them how they're missing out or telling them what they're doing uh, that's not fulfilling their life, but to show them how your life is fulfilled. Evangelism is, evangelism is not an optional accessory to our life. It is the heartbeat of all that we are called to be and do. We are called to go out to all nations, to evangelize the word. When the church takes this lesson to heart and gets down to business with evangelism, then those in the pews will soon start moving out for God. Similarly, the criteria on which a church should measure its success is not how many new names are added to the role, nor how much the budget is increased, but rather how many Christians are actively winning souls and turning them to win the multitudes. This is just right in line with what we've been doing the last few years here. We've gone through the uh, Genesis, then we went into Luke, so we could make sure that people understood the gospel. And then we went into the story, and now we're going through Acts, the foundation of a new church, which is where we are, and that's where we're at. And the teachings through the e-pastor news, I hope that you're a part of that and you're you're reading those. I try and give a midweek teaching every week so that you have something to think about and something to ponder. If you didn't get it this week, on the front of the bulletin, it tells you how to sign up. Um, I can resend it to you. You can send an email to that. Uh, We can get it resent to you. It was about baptism. It was um, an article from when I was in school. This next week, we're going to have the Lord's uh, Supper, and so it'll be on that and just the foundations of that. So trying to give you things to equip you and to be more fulfilled. So the question I have is, if you don't feel comfortable talking about the gospel, why? Do you feel ill-equipped? Do you not feel like you know enough to be able to talk about it? Um, If that is the question, then we need to do some more of this. Come see me. Come see Greg. Come see your ministry team leader. We can find ways to get you involved in a Bible study, in a a study on a particular topic, how to evangelize. We can help you to be more comfortable. Another question is, um, Del Tackett said it in the Truth Project, and some of you have heard me say it before. The big question is, do you believe that what you believe is really real? So do you believe that the salvation that you are granted through Christ's resurrection is real? Because if you believe that the resurrection is real, then you must mean believe that hell is real. And if you believe hell is real, we don't want anybody going there. And so this should be our priority, to be out and talking to people. Is your life so busy that you don't have time for others? Or do you say, oh, I'll just get to it someday? We don't know when that someday for them is their last day. 
or for us, for that matter. There, do you believe that there is no way that a living God would ever send somebody to hell? If you believe that, you need to look at Scripture, because He does, and He will. And also, us as Christians, a lot of times we never want to offend anybody. But we know through Paul, through Paul he never apologized for being bold. He never apologized for spreading the good news, and if people didn't want to hear it, he moved on. He didn't have enough time to wait for people. He moved on. He walked with people. But if they had no interest, they, 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 he, walked, he just moved on to the next city. And that's where we head today. Paul is going to go through a bunch of different cities. He's on his, journey, his first journey, and he's, he has such a desire for these people and to go and profess the new self that he is. He had a huge conversion moment that we, we talked about back in Acts 5, I believe, or 9, I can't remember. But I talked about that, and that he went from Saul to Paul. He was a huge crucifier, murderer, he, he, or martyrer, murderer. He, he killed people because he was defending God. And now he's going out and he's preaching to these people, you got it wrong. You've, you, you need to make this thing. The conversion, the passion, his heart. God knew all of his zeal before he ever made that transformation. So now he goes through his life experiencing scourgings. He took on all of the same pains that Jesus did, is what he writes. He also got stoned. He was imprisoned, etc. You know, Paul, um, uh, Rick Barton, the other day, he said, um, I talked to him, and he said, the guy that was feared the most in the Old West was a cowboy who already, already considered himself dead. So Paul was alive and he knew that he had eternal life and he didn't care. And he knew God would use him. So he'd walk into any situation and take it on. Because he didn't do it. That's what the old cowboy would do. He'd walk into any gunfight and just walk in. He wouldn't hide behind a barrel. He'd just walk in. He didn't care. He thought he was dead already. So it didn't matter. So he was the scare. Everybody was scared of him. Well, Paul, knowing that he had eternal life and he knew that he had the blessing and anointment of, of God on his life, he was ready to go. He was just going to go in. You know, we talked about last time that when he, got, when he got stoned, he walked right back into the city and preached again. The same exact city. He didn't leave. He didn't let him win. And so, also, whenever you're teaching the gospel or talking about the gospel to a group of people or, or to individuals or a smaller group, there's three types of people. There's the heralds. The person who talks about the gospel, who professes the gospel, the person who shouts it out. Then you have the person who harvests. The person who changes, the person who takes it on and believes and, and gives their life to Christ. And then lastly, you have the hater or the rebel, the person who is going to go against God no matter what. They're the one that's going to speak death into your life. They're the ones that are not going to uh, help you in this transformation process. They're going to be the ones that are the naysayers that you'll run into. And so throughout these cities, you'll see all three of those people. So I'm going to start with uh, chapter 17. When they had passed through... Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a a uh, few prominent women. The new uh, 
Maya, I don't know why it says that, and it says a few women in the version. Uh, or, yeah, I don't know why the NIV says that, but in another version, the ESV, it says a few women, uh, prominent women. So you see right there, you have the people who, the herald, Paul and Silas are going out, Paul mostly, speaking at this point. Then you have the harvest, people who became a part of it. Um, it also says that he talked on the Sabbath day, three Sabbath days. That means three weeks, because you're only in the synagogue on Sabbath. So for three weeks. Knowing Paul, and later he does this in Berea, he goes out to the marketplace and teaches. I don't think Paul said, okay, it's, only, it's Saturday, it's the only day I get to talk. I can't talk any other day. So I'm sure he went to the marketplace, and he went there. So now we'll move on to 5, to verse 5, if I can change my page. Or actually, we won't yet. I've got one more. So he explained, the, the, he explained and proved the Scripture. It says that uh, in verse 3. And so what he explained and what he was proving was that Christ had to go through the things he went through. And if, if I go back to Isaiah 53, 3-7, just to show an Old Testament um, reference, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of, sor- uh, of sorrows and, and familiar with sufferings, like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his words we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So the Jews obviously know the Old Old Testament. They know it. They memorize most of it. They know the Old. So that's why he uses Old. He's proving the existence of Christ, who Christ was through the Old Testament. So they don't want to hear it. So the Jews, being the haters, show up in verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. So when you gather together in sin, it's called a mob. When you gather together in Christ's name, it's called a church. There's your difference. Okay. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, sounding, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason was welcome, has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were tor- uh, thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let, him, let them go. So, the haters come out. They don't like Roman law. They don't like the Romans at all. But they decide to go together. Do you know how you make two enemies become friends? You give them a common enemy. And the enemy is the gospel. Here. What was the enemy the last time the two came together? Jesus. The Romans and the Jews came together to crucify Jesus. So that is, that's a pretty strong case when they, will hate, they don't like the Roman law, they don't like the Roman government, but they are willing to forego 
Moses' law, the law that they believe in, because it doesn't line up with what their priority is and what their prerogative is. They do not want the gospel spoken. So they're willing to forego Moses' law and embrace Roman law. And the other thing haters do, and you probably have seen this in your own life, and I know I have in mine, haters either change the message or they change the herald. I know in my own life there's times when I don't speak up for Christ when I should. That I don't speak out because I just don't want to offend somebody or I don't want to do anything because I know I have an opposition that has been vocal. And that happens all the time in our society. How many times? I mean, if you look back in history, if you look back to when separation of church and state with the no prayer in school, I believe it was 3 to 5% of people were atheists at that point. We should have carried the vote. But we didn't stand up. That's the, that's the kind of thing that Christianity has done over the years is we allow ourselves to just not proclaim and not step forward in faith. So we allow our message to be changed. We are, we are silenced by the hater. Jesus refers to this in Matthew 10, 21-39, which I, I ask you guys all to read later. Um, but I'm going to only read two verses, 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges men or me before men I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Now this is Jesus speaking, so we know it's true. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Now we're going to move on to Berea. The bond was posted by Jason, which meant it was their responsibility to make sure nothing else happened in the city of Thessalonica that if any more preaching happened, they would be the ones held responsible for Paul's actions. So they got him. They said, all right, we've posted bail. Now we want you out of here. So as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So again, you see the herald, you see the harvest. And these, this is encouraging here. I hope that our church will be like the Bereans. Bereans. That we will go to the Scripture. That what I say today will not just be taken as a sponge and you won't just suck it up. That you'll actually go and check and see what I'm saying is true. See if you interpret the Scripture the same way that I have that you'll challenge what you've been told. It's amazing how many times I have people, we had this somebody the other day just come in that needed some help, and they told me some things out of Scripture that was not accurate. And it was amazing to see what they have been told. There was another story of um, a group that we've helped, um, us personally, they're, they're, uh, they go around the world teaching, um, teaching pastors the true truth is what it's called. It's the truth. And because there was a church where they were trying to figure out what God they were supposed to, and it was in southern Asia somewhere, that they were supposed to figure out which God they were supposed to worship. And they had taken Yahweh and broke it down phonetically, and they weren't sure if they were supposed to worship Yah, Wah, or Eh. They didn't, because they had heard something from, through ham radio from Australia, and it got lost in translation somehow. But they, so they go throughout the world teaching truth. And that's where 
I'm hoping that we can do that. I'm hoping Greg will bring that. I know he wants to bring a school to, the, to our sanctuary that we can all take a part of and so that we know, our, our, that we know the Word better, so that we know for ourselves and that we can, are able to help others as they journey and walk through this, so that we can go out and minister to others also. And you can tell that the haters had the same zeal that Saul did because Saul walked 180 miles to get from Jerusalem to Damascus before his conversion. Here they walked 50 miles to interrupt what they were doing. So when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowd and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So he left behind Silas and Timothy to continue to educate and to continue to bring those other leaders up. And Paul got out of there because they saw him as the threat. They didn't know Silas and Timothy yet as he was teaching and leading and bringing them up. I'm going super fast today. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long service today and it's great. It's awesome. But uh, I won't get through all of it. I've already put that in my head. But, so we're going to move on quickly to Athens where um, we talk about idols. In Athens, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So this is the first time we see him go out on his own. Or we, we see him go out on his own, and maybe not the first time, but he didn't wait for Silas and Timothy to show up. He was waiting one sentence ago, but then he went, oh no, i got to get into the synagogues and I have to do this because he saw all the idols. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is the, this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They say this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So they would, when a new idea came in, they'd take it on and they'd just add it and they'd build another idol and another idol and another idol and they would just continue to add structure after structure. I was, when I was researching this, there was a point where they said, as you walked into Athens, there were pillars that were set at certain distances of gods that you were supposed to stop at each one and pray to as you entered the city throughout. That's a little scary to me, but they're taking on anything and everything, and they want to make, and they don't, they'll take, they just ration in the wind, going wherever the wind takes them. And... Um, and it's interesting that this is a new and strange teaching. You know, Athens is a quite a ways from Jerusalem in the, up in the center of, of Christianity as it moves throughout, but it's spreading. And, you know, um, John Calvin said at one point, the human heart is an idol factory. And I believe him. You know, we make a lot of things into deities. Um, verse 22 and 23. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arab. Uh, and said, Men of Athens, 
I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. They didn't want to miss anybody. (laughs) I don't know who you are, but I'm praying to you. I don't know, that seems really bizarre to me. But, you know, that's just what it was. That's how they did it. And, um, wow. I mean, how many times do we have the unknown God? I mean, how many times have you said to somebody, hey, um, you know, tell me about your faith life. Oh, yeah, I'm totally spiritual. And then you say, okay, so you believed in Jesus? No, oh, I don't want to go that far. I'm spiritual. Well, they have an unknown God then. They worship something they don't know what it is. I mean, man was designed to worship. We worship something. A lot of times it's ourselves. We get in that crux of worshiping ourselves, or we worship our time, or we worship our money, or we worship our work position. You know, that's pretty common that, oh, I worship the person who's just above me on the ladder. If I could just have their position. So you do everything and every you can to advance to that next level while you don't have enough time to further your faith. Don't take the time to further what really matters, your eternal life. So what's your unknown God? What is it that you have that you put more energy and more time into than to God and Christ and your relationship with with Him? We all have them. Just hope that you can think about that this week and ask for a change. Ask God to help you through that. Help, help, have the Holy Spirit help you to figure out who your unknown God is. It's either, sometimes it's so, it's overt. We do it right in front of our, you know, we know it. And other times, it's just covert. covert. It's in our hearts. And it becomes apparent to us. We are idolaters when we put something before our relationship with God. Sometimes we put camping in front of God. Sometimes, I've told the, my men's group that I'm a part of, sometimes I put beating the clock ahead of God. I'm out doing a snowshoe in God's creation. I'm thinking, oh, I'm praying the whole time. And I keep looking at my watch. Ooh, I've got to make up a little time. I'm behind my pace. So my watch or my time or my workout becomes my God instead of taking that time to actually fall on my knees when, I'm called, when I feel like it's time to pray. Just fall on my knees. No, I can't. I have a time to beat. It's ridiculous that I do that, but I do that. Sometimes we idolize famous people, sports, concerts. It's what we do. Just examine yourself. How does your spirit react when, uh, to idolatry? Do you get worked up when you see other people worshiping things other than Christ? Do you get worked up when you look in the mirror? Just simple questions, but heavy questions. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter just so you've heard it, and then I'll uh, close. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He is not served by human hands and if He needed anything because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and He determined the times that set for uh, for them and the exact places where they should live. 
We're in the right place. We're here for a reason. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each, each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of, you, of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He was appointed. He has given proof of this unto all men by raising Him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to, to hear We want to hear you again on this subject. And that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, and a a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a a number of others. And knowing Paul, it says that they became followers of Paul, but I know that Paul would humble himself and make them believers of Christ and followers of Christ. The last thing I was going to, just one uh, more verse, or one more scripture reading, Philippians three seventeen through 21. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of the, those who live according to the patterns we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even in tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. That's good news to the ones that believe. It's harsh reality to those that don't. Pray that this message will motivate you to be bold and be a witness for Christ. That you will go talk to your family, your friends, person, any person you see that needs Christ in their life. I pray that you'll investigate your own self. You'll recommit yourself. You'll become a person who will be eager to learn so that you're more equipped, more prepared to be able to talk to people. I ask you to help us as we try and help you become more equipped. I right now view myself as a Timothy. I'm learning. I'm learning. I, get, I learned from a great man, Steve Morehouse. I have another person I get to learn from, Greg Meyer. We all get to learn from him. So I just ask that you would take the time to invest. Invest in your relationship with Christ so that you can take it to someone else. We all know people who don't know Christ. Every one of us. And you can become that mentor to someone. You can walk next to them. You can show them the life of Christ and the fulfillment that you have. If you don't have that today and you feel like you would like to have that today, come see me after the service. I'll be here for you. Amen.
We're going to close with hymn 577 today. It'll also be on the screen. All right, are there any joys and concerns for today? I am terribly joyful for Katie. <laughs> terribly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Kelly.
Yeah. All right, so Jeff is going to have another grandchild um, that has a back, backup indicator. Right, back, uh, backing into life. So C-section tomorrow, pray for Sarah for that. And the doctors, too. Gerald? Baron Zeller, will you come forth, please? It's like... Thank you, Farron. Yes, Indy. Um, so, women of faith was great. Um, I'm a 21-year-old girl, and God moved in that event. And I just want to say thank you to college for having me for God using her for my mom and I to get involved with this. And it's worth going. God really speaks to you, even if you're young and Getting that age where you want to learn from all these older women, it is perfect to go to. And I just want to say thank you to Kelly for doing all that. Any other joys or concerns? Oh, Jenny. <laughs> but anyway, so, so good to see everyone. Nick is here. Yep. Yay. <laughs> so, yes, it's all good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to thank Pam for filling in at the, uh, with the choir and also with playing the hymn. And we also just pray... Um, uh, Traveling Mercy's on Alicia. She's gone right now. And we've got Jody. One more. I just want to give praise to God. I want to give glory to God. He is our awesome Father, our awesome Abba. And he deserves all of our praises and thanks. And I just want to lift that up from all of us to God. Amen. All right, I'll give a benediction, then we'll sing uh, to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your family, to having us be eternally yours. Lord, I just ask you to give us opportunities as we walk through the door to actually worship and minister to others and to be able to know when we are to step out boldly and profess your name. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Sing alleluia.
If there's anybody who would like, um, if anybody was, it would consider baptism, we can leave it up. Um, and also, uh, if anybody would like to know more about Christ, just come and see me.